So as I said at the start, welcome to all of you. Um, some of you will have not been here before, so let me just say that we've been working through this part of Luke's Gospel for some weeks, uh, and um, we thought it would be helpful for us to take a few weeks to look at some in-depth view of some of this teaching of Jesus. And uh, there is something, I think, very unexpected in this teaching. Uh, it's something akin, I think, to flowers growing in concrete, uh, or perhaps to the to appearance of that girl in the red coat in Schindler's List, of which was largely shot in black and white. There you go, there's the flowers in the concrete, and there's the girl. That unexpectedness in this chapter of Luke is around a generous likeness of being, because God is like that. There are echoes here, I think, of that parable that Jesus told about the prodigal son with the amazing, counterculturally generous and loving father. If you remember, the father ran to his son. And have you ever seen a Middle Eastern adult male run? He flung his arms around that smelly, disheveled human being who was still his child, even though that child wanted to be treated as if only an employee. And this dad... God the Father said, welcome home. Now how about a bath and some clean clothes and a party? Thus saying, so what? To the miserable history of drugs, sex, general squandering of resources, not to mention rebellion against the family, against everything they worked for. That dad, this dad, our dad, Father God, said, so what about all that? What matters is that you're alive and that you wanted to come home. Now, God sets the standard by his behavior, which we are called to emulate in our behavior. So he doesn't judge our outward actions, but he knows our hearts. He knows that when we are full of sin and when we are full of sorrow for our sin. He's the one who said vengeance is mine, so it's not ours to be had. He's the one who doesn't condemn us. He's the one who chooses to forgive us even when we've produced the hugest, stinkiest, filthiest pile of sin possible in thought and word and deed. He knows the state of our hearts. He knows when we are, to use the words of the formal confession, we are truly sorry and repent of all our sins. And that's not just a phrase that trips from the lips but something really heartfelt, some sense of mourning for our past and an earnest desire for change. So just as we are to judge and forgive as God does, perhaps we should see giving in the same way. How do you give? Do you give extravagantly or not? This graphic is from America, so be cautious. But note that Christians on average are down there in terms of their willingness to tip or otherwise. Now, you could argue either way on this one. Um, Hardly a measure pressed down and flowing over in terms of tipping behaviour in a restaurant and that's, uh, and that's actually about perceptions of who people are. 
from waiters and waitresses. Potentially some generous tippers went under the radar of waiting staff as Christians. And I know that there's all sorts of ethical debates around tipping waiting staff. Indeed, similarly, we're giving to beggars. But how generous are you when it comes to less difficult situations like giving presents or giving your time or using your home, not just to entertain those that are like you, but those who have less than you? Are you generous in your words? How about your generosity to God? Let's think for a moment about Jesus and how he gave. He taught this stuff, but how did he live? Jesus actually had very little of this world's goods. Clothes, yes. Sandals, yes. But no home, no books, no store cupboards of food. Instead, he relied on the generosity of people around him. What he did have, though, was the power of God. Two weeks ago, we heard this verse from earlier in the chapter. The power was coming from him and healing them all. So then Jesus used the power that he had to bring healing to people who needed it. He went from village to village healing the sick and teaching them about God. It was the same model that he used later in Luke when he sent out the 12 and then the 72 in pairs. Thus, for example, that other verse up there, this is where Jesus sent out the 72. He said to them, heal those there who are ill and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. I argue it's a command that's still relevant to us today. But how many of us do it? So you could say that Jesus gave what he had to the people around him. In terms of his understanding about God the Father, in terms of his understanding about who God is and what God is like, he showed that by his teaching. So he started a number of parables about, this is what the kingdom of God is like. The woman who lost her coin and then held a party when she found it again. It's like the man who lost a sheep and left the 99 and went searching high and low for it. Or he would say, this is what God the Father is like. So in terms of generosity of that giving, did Jesus hold back? Mostly, no. He taught Samaritans and Jews, Greeks too, whoever came to listen. Jesus did take time out to pray. He spent all night praying when he was about to pick his disciples. He's reported to have gone off early in the mornings to pray. And if Jesus needed to, why don't we? Why is it that most of us don't pray very much? Is it perhaps that we've grown comfortably numb or forgotten how extravagantly God loves us? That he's adopted us into his family when he had no need to? That he's forgiven us, that he blesses us with every spiritual blessing already? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. At times it does feel like Jesus holds back. So Mark chapter 7 tells of a woman from Syrophoenicia who one day came to Jesus looking for healing for her daughter. In that conversation and others, Jesus talks about coming first to the lost sheep of Israel. But he still healed the daughter. And in contrast, in Luke chapter 7, where Jesus heals a servant of a Roman officer, that's a centurion, and he concludes, I tell you, I have not found such great faith 
even in Israel. Jesus didn't hold back on the healings. So Jesus shows and demonstrates for us the extravagant love of the Father for us in his life on earth. And too in his death and resurrection. Those who came after Jesus and looked back on his, looked back on his, work, on his life were clear about the extraordinary love of God in making a way where there was no other way for us to be reconciled to God. So Jesus then is our example. How much do our actions reflect that we have actually forgotten God's love? Or come not to believe how amazing it is? If we did truly live in the light of the reality that it's the same power at work in us as raised Christ from the dead, if we lived in the light of that reality, if we lived in that light of that reality that God has adopted us into his family, then surely we would want to offer parallels to this extravagant love of God in the lives of those around us. And generally we don't. So have we forgotten who God is? Or perhaps in the words of that children's song, have we made our God too small? Have we put him in a box, shoved him in a corner, and thus limited what God can do? Although theologically it's not that we limit God, it's that God chooses to be limited through, in terms of what he does through us. But for children it works. How much would it change if really we got into our heads of just how amazing God is? So how are we going to do that then? Realistically, we need to come back to Jesus as our teacher. We need to come back to reading that word of God for ourselves. Yes, with the spirit of God within us to open God's own words to us. But then to live them out, friends. Notice what Jesus, what Jesus said about giving. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. You want God to bless you? Then use what blessing you've already had to bless others. Give and it will be given to you generously. Jesus moves on and offers us three pictures next. The blind can't lead the blind successfully. I'm sorry, I couldn't resist this one. It does say down here, I shudder at the thought. And it is um, window blinds, I'm sorry. Um, but the blind can't lead the blind successfully. Equally, the student can't learn more than their teacher. And clearly, you need to see clearly in order to helpfully help other people. And I think they're all pushing us in the same direction, which is to say that actually who we follow is really important. Again, you probably can't read it. This one is a man saying, sermon series, what God has said. And this side is, what would you rather hear, is the title of the sermon series. 
it's actually not terribly appropriate that we just go for the what you'd rather hear rather than what God has said. Who we follow is really important. So assuming you do read your Bible, when you come across a passage, perhaps a saying, a teaching from Jesus, that you disagree with, how do you react? Do you go, ah, that was for then, I don't get that now. Do you seek to put it in its historical context and understand the cultural norm to which Jesus was talking and, and then try to apply it to your own life? But actually, when we disagree, we're more likely to just park it and leave it and just not get involved. But actually, what we're called to do is to be people who are taught by Jesus, who thus seek really hard to understand, to understand these words of Jesus, this calling of Jesus, to actually what is a really radical lifestyle. It is like the flower punching through the concrete because it's really different. Or have we instead carved ourselves a more comfortable cross? So are you ready to change what you believe and how you live on account of what you read in here, in the Bible? Or instead on account of the people who comment on what's in here? Will you do the hard work of understanding context and history and coming to your own conclusions? For remember the same power that's at work in you as raised Christ from the dead is in you as is in me. But it's the same power at work in you that raised Christ from the dead. Will you... Let that Holy Spirit help you and guide you and lead you into all truth and remind you of what you know. Or perhaps instead, would you let yourself be led by other forces? Whether they be people who want to reinterpret your understanding of God or whether they are people who, or things that want to take you away from God, whether that be lust or power or wealth or things or acquiring new shiny things. Perhaps there's a drive for popularity, for likes on Instagram, on Facebook or amongst your family. How about striving for likes from God for our actions? I wonder what God's calling you to do, to change this morning? What plank in your own life do you have that you know really needs sorting out? And how are you going to do that? And to ask that we might all stand and pray. We've got a song lined up that we'll play in a couple of minutes. But... Um, just want to give us time to say to do business with God really to say God what do you want me to do this morning how do you want me to live more generously how have I been judging others and I ought not to be how have I been following a way other than the way that you call me to how do you want me to change so let's stand if you're willing to and able to we'll take some quiet
And clearly, if as you pray, you find yourself wanting to pray with somebody else, then either find somebody near you that you trust or come to the front. And we'd be delighted to pray with you. Father, as we look back on our lives, we recognize the transforming work of your love. We thank you that you are a good God. We recognize again that you are the one that call us as it were, to beat to a different drum, to your drum, to recognize that we are citizens of heaven just temporarily here on earth. Father, forgive us when we get that the other way around. When we think of ourselves as citizens only of this earth. Forgive us when we live as if either you don't exist or you're not bothered with us or you're, you're, you haven't really done much for us. Help us to remember, to choose to give thanks. So, Spirit of God, we ask that you would move in our hearts, that you would challenge us, reassure us, whatever's appropriate to our situation. Bring forgiveness, bring release, we pray. Give us courage to be generous, to live our lives onwards from here in the light of your amazing, extraordinary, extravagant love for us. That love that says so what to our past. What matters is that you're here. Just hear God's rejoicing that you are here this morning, that you are in the company of his people, that you are choosing to talk to him.
Have it all, Jesus. 
Father, we thank you indeed for your calling to us. Give us courage to step into all that you call us to.